The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. And this week, we got a lot of principles because I am joined by my the newest addition to the Blaze Radio and the Blaze TV. It's my brother in arms, Mr. Steve Deist. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing good, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we were supposed to have you on a, a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, Storm Alley came, and we had no uh, electricity for a couple of days, so it was a lot of fun. So thanks so much for rescheduling with us. I want to have a, an honest conversation with you today, because you're one of the few people I watch in America who I think, um, even though we don't agree 100% of the time, actually fundamentally does his best to explain America and understands America, and you, you delve deep into the principles of America, which is so so important to me i'd love to start with you the way i always start when i interview a few folks why is america an exceptional nation for none of the reasons any other nation on earth has ever been exceptional except for one uh and that's old testament israel and while i don't believe america uh is a replacement or a fulfillment or substitute or archetype um for israel I think Israel uh, represented a standalone covenant people with God whose primary purpose was to model the law and to preserve and produce the messianic line. I think that we have a country founded by imperfect people who desired to emulate the values that made Israel exceptional. And I think you see that. Um, littered throughout our founding documents, that desire, even in subtle ways, when you see the the founders calling upon providence, or as Thomas Jefferson writes in uh, the Declaration of Independence, with a firm reliance on divine providence, this this notion of there is one true God, who is the one true sovereign of the universe that we are all accountable to, and when we do our best as imperfect vessels to align our principles with him we are blessed when we go astray we are cursed kind of what moses says to the israelites there in deuteronomy i've said before you blessing and cursing life and death choose life so that you may live in the land our founders sought to create a civic emulation of 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 what made ancient israel exceptional to the point of god-given rights meaning that the government doesn't grant or take away rights, but they are pre-existent in nature, and therefore the government's role is to protect and preserve those God-given rights. This is something that was, uh, as uh, the historian from BYU, Cleon Skousen, describes it, the 5,000-year leap that 
It's unique in all of the 5,000-year recorded human history up until that moment uh, of what it was that that made us exceptional. And I think Chesterton, uh, the the great uh, British theologian, I thought, had one of the best descriptions of America of all that, that I've ever read, that America is the only country ever founded upon a creed. Uh, and I think that is an excellent summation of what made America exceptional. And it's why I am a conservative. I, I, I teach our audience all the time, Jonathan, conservatism is not an ideology. Conservatism is an observational science, meaning I am, I am self-aware and critically thinking through history what history and history's ultimate judge has revealed to us to be what's best and noble and true for the human condition. And that I seek to conserve those things. You know, a word always means what the root word of that word means. Okay. I mean, to be a, to, to, to be disciplined in your faith is to be a disciple. Um, for me to be a conservative means I'm trying to conserve. I, I am not, practicing an ideology and there's and by the way that's not inherently bad Mm -hmm. but i'm not but i'm not i'm not an ideologue in terms of defending and upholding and advancing this ideology is my primary political motivation no my primary motivation is to conserve that which history and history's judge has revealed to us to be what's best noble and true for the human condition Absolutely. And when you look at the, the success of America, for me as an outsider who has spent, you know, 15 years trying to get into your nation legally, it's a very hard process. And we can talk about that later on when we talk about the caravan and the news of the day. But th- for me, America is that beacon of principles. Like, I, I love your principles of, because you're the only nation that has ever truly got principles. You know, like Ireland was, was formed as, you know, we both, our countries both fought a revolution against Britain, but, you know, we're Whereas your founders were so amazing where they actually said, hey, you know, we got all these deportations against the king. But let me tell you what I'm for first. Ireland just went, we just don't like the Brits. We don't care about the British rule. And, you know, I'll be ruled by a tyrant just once he's Irish blood. And you see this throughout history. You know, what amazes me about your founding is the principles they were founded on. You know, you mentioned one there just when you were talking about American exceptionalism. This idea that government is not God. That, there, you know, there isn't a being higher than whether it's a president, whether it's a prime minister, whether it's a king. There is, a, you know, there's a power higher than him that he is, him or, him, him or her is responsible to. That idea that, you know, you're born with rights. And I think this is the frustrating thing for me. We need to share those values more. How can we do that? The first step is you have to accept and identify them. I mean, you, you can't share something that you don't believe in. And what we're watching transpire right now in the U.S. is after the previous generation or two spent the bulk of their years pushing back against fascism, Marxism, socialism, totalitarianism, yeah, it is that, you know, it's, it's the prophet says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. We now have a new emerging generation that uh, is, is after fighting in previous generations to vanquish this offshore from ever coming here. Uh, we're now attempting to actively germinate it and, and inject it into our bloodstream domestically. And that's really what the battle is now, is that there really is an existential battle taking place. And I, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it really is for the soul of the country. 
Uh, and it's and it, it it's not even it's it, it transcends the the traditional conservative liberal Venn diagram of, of that really for me, for most of our lifetimes broke down to this debate: how much should government do for people that they can't do for themselves? We're way past that now, uh, Jonathan. I, I tell my audience all the time: there really aren't too many liberals anymore. We're, there's really two Americas now. There is the leftist America, and, and I think leftists are different than liberals. And you might say, Steve, what's the difference? I'll, I'll answer. A, a, a liberal is somebody that wants government to permit you to do something that God says is dumb or immoral. A leftist is somebody who wants government to compel you to do it. And those are two totally different things. One, one, one may, may existentially disagree with your philosophy and way of life, but seeks to find and to accommodate, to accommodate uh, those differences. Um, the other um, doesn't seek any accommodation at all. Uh, it, it seeks conformity, and that's what you're seeing now. Has as we as we transition with arguments from, we we used to make the argument, well, how did my gay marriage impact your marriage to bake the cake bigot? That's what I mean. From the first is a liberal argument, accommodate something God says is dumb or immoral. That's what, you know, how does my gay marriage impact your gay marriage? It's a liberal argument. A leftist argument is you will be made to care. Bake the cake, bigot. Uh, we're, we're not even having this debate. Uh, you're not worthy of debating. You're subhuman. And, and so we're at this existential crossroads now as a people where we have two different Americas. You have the leftist America. That's about the 15% of counties that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. And then you have what's left of America. And that's not conservative. There, there are all kinds of people in that realm that want big government, want far more government and government programs than somebody like me does. But you're finding that these various factions, and this is the emergence of nationalism. You know, you always, whenever, whenever a culture decides the state is supreme, one of two, you're always going to have an, an emergence that that's what you just described. Actually, when you said, I'm fine living under a tyrant, as long as he's Irish, um, whenever a culture decides the state is supreme, then the debate just simply becomes who gets con- who gets supremacy over the, the over the supreme state. And that's really what nationalism is. Nationalism is um, America's good because it's America. Suck it. Uh, you know, we're America. You're not. And it doesn't really matter what America stands for. Our, we're just better than you. And and you're watching these two factions go to war right now in America. Nationalism versus progressivism. Because they're really two sides of the same coin. They, they both agree that it's not about the rights of the individual. It's about the supremacy of the state, the, 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 in the nationalist case, the maintaining of their preferred way of life uh, and their traditions in the progressive state it, or pro- progressive case. It's, it's the preference for government to depose and dispose of traditions and, and values they don't agree with and replace it with their own. But they both agree in an all-powerful, coercive government. What the conservative says is, no, this is about um, the individual and that if, if, if Jesus died for individual sinners to be saved, if the Judeo-Christian God created us in his image individually and has counted the hairs on every one of our heads and he knows our name and he knit us in our mother's inmost womb, then um, if I can have an individual relationship with my creator then the state should not ask me to join any form of a collective or association 
that violates my individual autonomy that God does not ask of me. Because as you pointed out, God is supreme over government. Government has to answer to God as well. We're, we are, we're, we're jettisoning a lot of these notions now. And most of the people, most of the people that do what I do for a living, even when they push back on the left, they don't do it on the basis of any of the arguments I just articulated to your audience. And so we have a lot of Pyrrhic victories on the right that even when we win, we're still arguing the other side's premise of the argument. And so we may be winning uh, elections, but they're winning generations. Absolutely. And for me, the frustrating thing for me is, as, as a, someone who's read your history, um, is no one ever seems to understand the real battle of the day, the, what I will coin. It's not left versus right, as you just said. It's not liberal versus conservatives or any of these adjectives. It's not even as, as you know, where my boss and, and your one potentially your, your boss, Glenn Beck, thinks, you know, when he talks about postmodernism, they're all key words and they're all true. But the battle of the day is man's law versus nature's law or God's yes. law. Yes. And no one ever seems to want to talk about that. And my biggest frustration and my one worry for America is, is the, the let's coin, let's call, let's call them as they are, even though I don't like the term left, because, you know, it, it means absolutely nothing, because considering how it was formed. But you're starting to see in America attacks on the Constitution. You're seeing attacks on where over the last three, four weeks, I'm sure you've read all these articles where the we need to abolish the Supreme Court. And actually, you know, what we need to do is we need to pack the Supreme Court court the, you know the, the constitution has failed us uh, why do you have why does the senate is so you know not represented properly that you know because i remember there was an article i think it was in was it fox where I, I only found out there's only every state has two senators like and every state has the same amount i'm like this is new to you my frustrating thing and i i'm worried about your country is i love your founding documents they are exceptional with the exception of the bible they are the greatest thing man has ever written full stop who has credibility who can defend them? Because no one, in, in my opinion, in D.C. can actually say, I, I have credibility to defend the Constitution. Do you think anyone in D.C. has that? No, I don't. And I think the, the schema of D.C. is set up so that people like you and me have to answer that question in the negative under the idea that no one can rise above the prevailing tide of history there. DC is very much like if you if you know your Hunger Games references, it is the capital. It is District 1. And the whole thing there and cable news is the is the Caesar what's his name? Uh Caesar Flickwick, whatever the guy's name is, the uh, Stanley Tucci character in the movies. That that's what cable news is. It's the great distractor get you bogged down in today's uh you know black hole of tribalistic silliness back and forths which then social media feeds the feedback loop. Most Americans that care get drawn into it. The rest of Americans that don't loathe it and just drop out altogether uh, and, and are largely an uninformed populace, which makes them easy pickings for um, uh, for emotionalism. And so the left wins either way. I mean, they control they control the argument of the echo chamber. They control the, the you know, how far we crack open the Overton window and then the right will respond, you know, what we do in conservative media, we're never on the affirmative. We're always just reacting to them all the time. Uh, and then so what happens is e either they control the premise of the argument for those who are engaged, and then those who get so fed up with the garbage I'm describing get disengaged, and they become easy pickings because then they're able to just manipulate them emotionally because they don't have the intellectual, um, you know, stability or, or, or foundation uh, to, to discern and see through it. And this is...
this is the um, the Hegelian dialectic that is my job on a daily basis. Most of my, I shouldn't say most, a, a chunk of my consumers want me to lie to them. Um, the number one complaint I get in my email, outside of my own sinfulness coming to bear with a microphone in front of my face for so many hours a day. So outside of my own sinfulness exposing itself, the, the number one complaint I get every day and have for years, really, they wouldn't say this if I told them that's what they were asking of me, but it's really what they're asking of me. Why won't you lie to me? Why, why won't you fluff me? Why won't you tell me my farts smell like rose water? Why won't you tell me that every time the Republicans lose, the Democrats cheated? But, you know, I before I got into this, Jonathan, I did sports talk radio for many years. And I remember when I got into this, when I, when they switched me to news, I thought this is going to be a huge transition. And then after a couple of years into this, I realized I never left sports talk radio. You know, when 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 I was doing sports talk radio in Iowa, there was a point guard on the Iowa basketball team who raped a women's basketball player and, 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 and assaulted her. And they put him right back on scholarship a year later. And I thought that was a garbage move and criticized them. And almost every Iowa Hawkeye fan in my audience, man, lost it on me and protested me. And all the Iowa State fans, their big rival, thought, hey, good job holding the moral line, Steve. Really appreciate that. <laughs> well, Steve, sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, a few years later, there was a star football player at Iowa State named Jason Berryman. And one day he lost his temper on campus and a, and a small kid ran his mouth and he took the kid's cell phone. He stomped on it and then he beat the crap out of him and stole $4 out of his pocket. He went to jail for eight months for assault. Literally five minutes after he got out of the poke, Iowa State put him back on a football scholarship. And I protested against that. thought that was a bad idea. And I even, I even owned the Iowa State fan magazine at the time, and I protested it publicly. Funny thing happened there, Jonathan. The same Iowa fans who a few years ago thought I was out to get their program now suddenly appreciated my law and order stance. And all the Iowa State fans who appreciated my law and order stance now wanted and now were calling me a fake Christian because I didn't believe in mercy and second chances. OK, all that changed was the uniform color. And that's most of what is asked of people like me every day. There's very few places I could go, no matter how good I am or how good I'm not or how good your audience thinks I am. There's very few places I could go that I could make a living justify that, that feeds my family to justify the blowback I get for doing this that would permit me to transcend that tribalistic environment I, two of them I'm working at right now that blaze and conservative review and and then you know there's another there's a couple of others I could think of like the daily wire and a couple of others and the, but the list would get real short after about six or seven most of the media if, if your audience wants to know how come most of the media is blaming Trump for things that aren't his fault, or crediting Trump with things that he's wrong about. Why, why is that most of the media? Because that's actually most of what the audience wants. Most of the audience wants this to be a sporting content. I've had cable news producers call me to book me on the show, and then when they screen my opinion, they're like, well, we don't want your opinion, we want your side. Well, my, my opinion doesn't conform to your fake sides. This isn't pro wrestling. Well, and that's why they don't book me. And so that's that's the other thing we have working against us right now is never before in human history has it been more profitable to peddle partisan political propaganda than it is right now for both sides. 
which makes the truth even tougher to obtain. Absolutely. And as someone who's been around sites, you know, it's it's always frustrated to me is how our business is revolved around ratings and hits. You know, I've, I've been around people and like, oh, I, I got, you know, 500,000 people reading my article. What was your article about? Nothing. Like, what did you learn from your article? It was just about the news of the day. I'm like, what did people learn? Did it did it anger you, people, or did it give uplifting? No, it just, you know, it told me Trump was right or the GOP was right or the Democrats suck. And I'm like what's added to it you know if you actually talk about you know and then you compare like a really well written article about why America is exceptional about the declaration of independence and only gets 10,000 hits that's a failure and it's like we have a we have a major problem here with what we're defining as success or and failure but we just got to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about the news of the day because there's a lot of stuff I want to get your opinion on and talk to you about so just bear with us don't go anywhere America we'll be right back sticking with us America before we get back to Steve I just wanted to give a big shout out and just update you on the project we're working on at the minute um, we're nearly we're hitting a thousand dollars raised for Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund through our project selling hoodies and t-shirts on the store there's two hoodies up there now America making the impossible possible since 1776 um, and the other one and we're relaunching new hoodies starting in about I think it's next in the next week one of them is um, really exciting it's about General Wayne's story which we'll talk to you about on next next week's show another one is America is great because Americans are good these are all pro-American messages they should not be left or right issues they're just really good products 100% of the profits go to Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund who are doing amazing work so to everyone who's bought one thank you so much don't forget it's coming up to Thanksgiving Christmas birthdays please buy one for yourself buy one for your family and friends all the profits are going to Mercury One and they're really happy with what we're doing so thank you so much so getting back to Steve and talking about the issues of the day let's talk about the first one which is really close and personal home to me the caravan do you how is this possible that this is, is an issue that is 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 been used for political purposes in America like, is there anyone who out there who actually wants to have an honest conversation um, on all sides? First of all, how does a caravan of 7,000 people, where, where are they going to the toilet? How are they living? Who's feeding them? Um, you know, there's, there's pe pictures of like, you know, I, I saw one picture of a mother with a stroller. I'm strollers are not built to like travel that far you know it's I, I don't know maybe maybe there's super really great strollers in, Hond in, in Honduras but no one's asking these questions in the mainstream media where 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 are the where are the honest brokers in the media or do they is it just a case of let's just get them over here they have a right to be in America everyone has a right to be in America let's just be show compassion and all those buzzwords they hit why won't people talk honestly about this subject Let's start with the left. Well, the immigration issue in, in the United States really comes down to this. The Democrats want new voters and the Republican sugar daddies want cheap labor. And and that's why you're just never going to get a real solution to this one way or the other um, is the thesis and the antithesis joined together. This this issue is the Hegelian dialectic playing out in real time. And I can just tell your audience right now how this is going to end. Mark my words. Remember, I said this. 
They're going to come over the border. No one's going to stop them. Shortly after they come over the border, uh, they will then be essentially impounded very humanely. And you'll watch Fox News and other right-leaning entities that will show you they're being treated very well. One of them will get cut, uh, cut their foot on a cactus or something. And then all the other mainstream media outlets, the liberal media, will tell you that these people are all being treated terribly. And this is totally inhumane. Um, and this will be this will diet. This will dominate cable news for a few days until something. The next thing comes along. And then we're going to sit here and ask ourselves like three weeks later. Hey, remember that one caravan? Hey, remember those remember those women that uh, that uh, Brett Kavanaugh gang raped? Remember those girls at the Gadsden Mall in, in, in uh, rural Alabama that Roy Moore uh, creeped on in 1978? Whatever happened to those people? That This is all, as the great prophet Snoop Dogg once said, this show been there. This is, this is just all for, this is infotainment. Nothing substantive that is happening here. Trump isn't going to stop them from coming into the country, and he'll treat them very well. He'll just detain them after they cross the border, and he'll get called a racist and a xenophobe. Anyway, from the left, and then the right will pretend he made some kind of, you know, ballsy move that he never made to stop them from getting here. This is just all for show. Okay, so now that's 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 the left. Now let's deal with the right. One of the things that I go cringe because I've been through this process. We need immigration reform. What immigration reform do you, do you think we need immigration reform? Well, we've had four major immigration reforms in the last 35 years. So. Um, what I think we need, and I've, I have done extensive work on this issue, research for organizations, campaigns, causes. And, you know, what's funny is when I started doing it, I was kind of a squish on this issue. And the more research and stuff I did into it, the harder right on the issue I became. Um, and it's mainly because of the dynamic I just articulated. There isn't really an interest here in a real solution. This is just an interest in getting more Democrat votes on the left. And Republicans getting cheap labor and both sides, the, the Chamber of Commerce uh, on Team GOP and the, and the victimology horde on Team Democrat uh, conspire together against average Americans. So people like my stepdad, uh, who, are, you know, has been a great second husband of my mom, master carpenter. And when him and my mom first got married about 15 years ago. He didn't step on a job site for less than like $29 an hour. And union guy, Democrat guy, well, he eventually had to take early retirement. And the reason he had to eventually take early retirement is his job went away because everybody has hired illegal aliens to do it for $7.50 an hour and no benefits. You know, so his story is legion. And Trump tapped in to a lot of those voters in 2016, but has really demonstrably done nothing to follow up with uh, on their behalf since getting elected, except for a lot of bravado in speeches, because there's just no will really to do anything about this. It doesn't fit really any sides, political elites to, to confront the issue head on because it antagonizes the other side. I think when I, the last white paper I wrote on this, the average person who tries to immigrate to America legally through our immigration system, the wait's like eight and a half years. That number sound right to you? Okay, um, that's the av- That was the average wait. Um, I'm about 15, so. <laughs> well, yeah, so you're you're way above that, obviously. And I think this is this is um, this is banana republic stuff, um, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. What I here, here's what I would do. Most of this issue would go away. Most of it would if you just simply did a few things. One. 
You didn't have border security plus amnesty. It just did border security only, meaning your first phase is border security as a standalone entity. That's number one. Number two, then you then you then you deal with the question of the people that are already here legally. If they have created if they have committed no other violent crimes um, and they have a job, they can they will they are never granted citizenship because they came here illegally and broke the law. We would grant them a permanent worker visa status that would not let them vote, would force them to pay taxes, and then they have to have proof of employment on an annual basis. And the first time they don't, they are permanently deported, gone. And there's no welfare state benefits for anybody who's a non-citizen except for, obviously, a life and death situation, a tragedy, a car accident, etc. But no food stamps, no ADC, None of that. You're a non-citizen. You don't get access to anything in the welfare state. If you have a job and you're not a, you're otherwise not a criminal, you get a permanent worker status. The minute you don't have a job, you're gone, but you never get to vote ever. That would alleviate a lot of this. It's not, it's not a complicated issue. There's just, we're not a nation of laws. And Jonathan, I think that's something a lot of people that look at America from the outside in with, with aspirational admiration for us like yourself. You don't understand until you live here long enough. America is not a nation of laws and never has been. America is a nation of political will and always will be. And those are two totally different things. The one thing I would say about that is is that your that idea is I've heard that is pretty popular, but it's I have a small issue with it in the fact that it's it's unfair to people like me who and there's lots of us people who you know I went like I don't know if you know about me, but I like Glenn offered me a job um, last year last February, and we went through the process and met with lawyers and long story short because I didn't have a college degree and I didn't have any paid work experience doing what he wanted me to do on his team meant I couldn't apply. So Yeah, see, I think that's that is an easily you essentially had a sponsor. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an easy situation to rectify. We, we, let me give you here's what happens in every state when when Democrats take over a state like more I live in Iowa, which has what's called baseline budgeting. You know, do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. You, yes, so for your audience that doesn't know what it means is by law they have to balance the budget every year. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when Democrats take over a state like mine and they spend, 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 and then they get down to the edge, end of the legislative session and they have to have a balanced budget by law, here's what they will always do, okay? They will always cut first responders. They will always cut um, police and their benefits. In other words, they will always go after the stuff that the average American is willing to pay taxes for that they everybody recognizes we need. And they will they will always do that rather than defund Planned Parenthood, for example. And they do that on purpose. Okay, this is agate prop. It's political propaganda. And that's the same thing our immigration system does to people like you, right? It blows up the life of somebody like you so that it can justify um, essentially being a country of open borders uh, and migrant labor and banana republic. It's it's like the abortion debate. Well, I don't think a woman who's been raped or has, has been a victim of incest should carry her child. Okay, how about we'll give you that one and then ban the other 98% of abortions? Well, no, I really don't want any abortions banned. See, these are what we call in the business world false objections. And unfortunately, people like you are victims of this because there's no political will in either the Republican or Democrat camps to deal seriously with this issue. Absolutely. And you just, since you brought up baseline budgeting, another we'll move on to a more serious topic. Um, that is, you know, if you, there's many things that could potentially destroy America. 
you know we live in a world that there's so much optimism you know like you know things like it and ai could be really really good for the future it could be really bad but it could be really good you know life expectancy is growing you know with people who are living in poverty is getting less people are, you know I, even the world bank is changing the metrics it's no longer a dollar a day it's 250 a day there's a lot of good things but there's also a lot of bad things north korea iran you know the middle east there's a lot of bad things happening what's happening with russia and donald trump pulling out of a, a cold war agreement there's a lot of bad things but there's one thing that never ever seems to get discussed the debt and the size of your budget actually you don't even have a technically you don't have a budget because you don't do reconciliation but i know you've been you're one of the few who were outspoken and i wrote a piece for glenbeck.com on this that if I actually did become an American citizen, I, I used it as my point of view. It's like, I want to be an American. I've wanted it my whole life. There's one really sucky thing that would be if I became an American tomorrow. Roughly, I would own, uh, potentially own a million dollars to your government. Between uh, the debt, my share of the debt, my share of state taxes, or state debt, and also unfunded liabilities. Where is the point that America wakes up? Because I, I, I tell this story famously. I thought it was at $10 trillion. Because I always used to laugh. I don't remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I used to always go to New York. New York was one of my favorite cities. I love it. I'm a Yankees fan, as you know. I used to always think it was always the funniest thing going to Manhattan, seeing the debt clock. And I always used to say, that's crazy. It's just such an American thing. Hey, this is how much money we owe. I said famously, and everyone winds me up about it, when that hits $10 trillion and that clock has to come down, America will wake up and get their, sort, their fingers sorted. That was one of my really bad predictions. But what will happen? What what has to happen to to, to save the country from the debt? I I think this will never happen. And I I think the reason why is the old axiom: treason never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none will dare call it treason. The the sadistic beauty of the welfare state is everybody's in on it. Um, there's there's no one to call in the note. Uh, right now in my home state of Iowa, our Republican governor, she's running ads attacking her, her wealthy Democrat uh, landowner family, uh, Scion, uh, for being a capitalist, essentially, and firing a bunch of working people when he took over failing businesses. The problem with her playing the class warfare card is her and her crony capitalist chamber of commerce buddies give companies like Microsoft hundreds of millions of dollars in, in tax abatements and deferments for 87 jobs, okay, and, and – suburban Des Moines. And this this game goes on all over the country. Everybody has a suckling spot on the government teat. And so you asked me a few minutes ago, who's the person in Congress who can hold the high ground here? There is no one to hold the high ground on this. There's there's no one to call in the note. In in human history, when a when a nation became an extreme debtor nation debtor nation like us, that usually meant you were poised for invasion either because you were so weakened internally or the nation or nations you owed uh, decided uh, to take the matter into their own hands and uh, and Uncle Bingo came to come collect the check. There's no one to do that here. A, we have more nuclear weapons than anybody else. So we're not going anywhere internally. Two, China's not calling in the note. I mean, they own about a third of our debt, I think it is. We're their biggest customer. I mean, we're... We've got the middle class to buy all their cheap made goods that they largely still don't. So no one's calling in the note. We don't have natural. I, I laugh when I see Ron Paul talking about natural business cycles on Fox every couple of months. We haven't been in a natural business cycle since about 1964. 
the our economy is is plastic surgery. It's a it's a it's a it's silicon implants. It's done it, with the intent of politicians never ever having to go back after post and have another misery index kind of seventies crash with inflation and everything else and ever again. This whole thing is is completely propped up. The whole thing is a facade. We print phony money. We have no commodity backing our currency. But because we have the largest invading army at the exact same time as we have the world's largest customer base, no one has any incentive to call us on it because it would be mutually assured destruction. This is essentially the, the business model, Jonathan, that groups like the Council on Foreign Relations have sought to create sort of a 21st century Habsburg dynasty, if you will, where all of these nations are all in debt to one another. And so they just end up never, no one ever goes to war with each other or this stuff anymore because everybody's slave to one another's debt and needs everybody else's markets to service their own debt. And that's exactly where we're at right now. What is far more likely going to happen, I don't think there's going to be a zombie apocalypse or any kind of crash. What's far more likely to happen is we could see in our lifetime, I don't know how old you are, I'm 45. We could see in our lifetime a North American kind of union like what you saw in Europe, where all the nations of Europe spent the, in Western, in the Western democracies spent themselves into oblivion, essentially just consolidated all their debt, canceled it, hit control, all delete, created a new currency. And voila, we've got a new we've got we've got new markets and a new economy to kick the can down the road. That's far more likely than any kind of a crash because there's no invading army outside the city gate saying, hey, pay us our gold. No one's going to step to us like that. Plus, we buy more of their stuff than anybody else in the world can. So there is no magic number. Because like when I, I'm reading, like I, uh, when I was researching this article, I was like reading CBOs. And the CBO, which has a history of always underestimating, the CBO mm-hmm. predicts over the next 10 years to 2028, um, your debt's 21 trillion now. It's going to be 30, what was it, 33 or 34 trillion? It's like predicting a trillion dollar deficit each and every year. And I'm like looking at these numbers and I'm like, that's not the laws of economics that I've studied. Um, that's not possible. Then again, I wouldn't have said 21 trillion was possible. So maybe the bank You're right, just keeps not, not, We are living outside. This is a preternatural economy. We are outside the laws of economics. We have something that's never existed in the world before, and that is a harmonic convergence of the largest consumer base with the greatest military and the most recognized currency in the world. That's that's really never existed before. You could argue maybe it existed in ancient Rome, but we didn't have nearly the global community at that point in time. I mean – um, uh, you know, Rome's empire ne- didn't penetrate the Far East, for example. So when you look at you put all those three, three things together in a truly global economy, we have a transcendent entity. And in, unless un- unless someone decided. Like, let's let me give you a scenario. If if China, Russia and the Arab world and India with its burgeoning middle class. If they decided they wanted to form a new axis, A-X-I-S, a new axis against the West, um, that and they were willing, they were willing to push the button, meaning we're going to we're willing to, to, to have military exchanges over our desire for hegemony. Anything short of that, there is no one to call in the note. Okay. 
Well, on that note, I'm gonna, we're going to take one last break, and then when we come back, I want to just finish up just talking to you about the Constitution real quick. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for sticking with us, America. As always, we're on social media. I'm at Freedom Disciple on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn 58 on Facebook. Steve, you're Steve D Show on on Twitter and on Facebook. You're on the same, right? Yes, just just my name. Yes, yeah, just give him a follow. Also, he's on the Blaze TV from 12 o'clock to 2 p.m. Eastern. Check it out. Really good. If you enjoyed this show, you'll love his show. Um, live, check it out. Also available. Um, if you listen to this show, please subscribe um, and rate and review us on iTunes and on all platforms, especially on iTunes. iTunes is like Facebook. It has an algorithm. The more ratings and reviews you get, the better you are. So please continue to do that. I want to finish up today with uh, Steve. I just want to talk to you about the Constitution because... One of the, the frustrating things for me, um, that, you know, the, the greatness of your founders, you know, I, I love and I marvel and your, your country and your founding era was so amazing because the more I learn about it, I'm no expert, but I know quite a bit about it. I love, I fall in love more and more and more with your nation. Um, the great thing about your founding documents is it gives you, the founders created a system of government where actually socialism is possible. If the left actually truly understood this, it would actually work. Um, I'm not, I think socialism is a really bad idea. I live under socialism. I want to escape it. But this idea that Hillary, I found it so funny this week, Hillary Clinton all of a sudden found out about federalism and states' rights, um, which is just, I'm like, you, you were running for the president, and now all of a sudden, two years after you lose, now you find federalism? This is always, it's always just so amazing to me. But the system of, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to have an Article 2 power, which is the presidency, which is basically a figurehead who has no legislative power. All powers are vested in Congress, which is Article 1. Article 1, Section 8 gives you 18 clauses of what you can do, and everything else, baby, is left to the states. That is a, a such a wonderful system, and it's so different to what I live on in Ireland, I live under in the European Union, and other nations live under. Do you ever think America, first of all, how many people do you actually think understand that process, actually know about this is the system of government your founders gave us? Uh, single digit percentage. How do we change that? Or can we? Uh, in the existing cultural paradigm, you cannot change it. Uh, the, the education system, which our founders established because they viewed an educated populace as one of the greatest uh, defense mechanisms against tyranny, has been completely taken over by progressives. And there is there is simply no way. And I mean, the most leftist of progressives, there, there is there is simply no way barring the literal hand of God coming down uh, that you're going to undo their dominance of that arena in the next generation and so you're going to have to create competitive educational structures and and we have some of those that are sort of fledgling markets uh like homeschooling which we do which you know our family does for example but un until we get state legislatures in mass in in republican states to 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 have the wherewithal to stand up and say we're going to change the way funding is done for education. We're, we're going to have the funding follow the student. We're not going to do vouchers. We're not going to do tax credits. We're not going to do anything at all that actually might maintain the state's control. 
we're going to return control to the individual. And so here is what it costs to educate, what it costs us in this state. In Iowa, it's about 12 grand per K through 12 pupil. So here's $12,000 is what it costs. It costs us, the state, to educate your child $12,000 a year. That $12,000 is going to follow um, either that's going to be a reimbursement to you if you homeschool or that's going to go to them at the charter school, the private school, the public school, etc. And so until they change the model to that, which is parental and individual empowerment that would spur competition, there simply isn't the wherewithal culturally to do the level of discipleship that is required here. Okay. Um, do you ever see a point in time where it gets to somewhere back to the normal balance in 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 Congress, or is it just going to get worse? Because the the attacks from the left are getting really, you know, the Supreme Court should be back, it should be put out, the Senate shouldn't be around. What you're describing is, you know, when I was a kid, we used to debate what's constitutional and unconstitutional. Yeah. What you're describing is what's anti-constitutional, meaning reasonable people can look at the general welfare clause or the establishment clause and disagree, maybe even vehemently, about what the intent or meaning of those words are. But the, but the intent is to discern their meaning, even if you disagree. When someone is anti-constitutional, the intent is to undo their meaning or to never seek it in the first place and replace it with an entirely new construct. And that's what the modern progressive left is seeking to do. They view they are living in a foreign country, Jonathan, and they view people like you and me as foreigners. They, they have a different idea of what America should look like. And um, there's really not a negotiation to take place there. And so w- here's where we're at. We don't have the the discipleship mechanism to reach this in the next generation with the truths of American exceptionalism. We don't control really any of the cultural influence centers, not just academia, but pop culture, media. We don't really control any of them. We do win a lot of elections, so we seem to, we seemingly have more political power than Democrats and the left do. We hardly ever use it, however. We let, I mean, at this point, if a judge in, in, in San Francisco, if a federal judge uh, decreed that every Republican had to get a sex change operation, I, I think 90% of them, I think David French at, at the at National Review would write a column that literally said, well, that really sucks, and I don't believe judges have the power to do that, but, you know, I guess I'll, I'll see you at the scalpel tomorrow. That, that's kind of where we're at. We, we, have, we have no... We have no inkling whatsoever of actually pushing back against any of this. So it's revival or nothing right now. To me, politics and elections are nothing more than rear guard actions. You're buying yourself time for the, in the hopes that there's a great awakening that brings spiritual reinforcements. And if that does not happen, then you know we're about a quarter century behind where you guys in Western Europe are. And, and the reason why our progress to the left is slower is when the leftists went on advance there in Western Europe, the church was already pretty much in involuntary abrogation. The church does not have the, the, the seat of primacy in our culture that it once did, but it's still a heck of a lot more influential than it was in Western Europe in the 70s and the 80s. And that's where all these conflicts about religious liberty and stuff are coming from, is there's still a pretty sizable pocket, you know, a minority of Americans that want to live by uh, the, the ways of exceptionalism. And so it'll take longer for the left to eradicate that and turn Catholic churches into mosques like you see there in the UK. But eventually they'll get there unless we have uh, revival, unless we there's a reason we had a great awakening before we had a revolution. 
And if we don't have another great awakening, we're going to have another revolution. It'll just be a Marxist one. Absolutely. And I agree wholeheartedly. Like 10 years ago, I would have said there's there's plenty of options for your country. Now, it's it's either the revival and you have a really bright future, which I actually still believe will happen. Um, and the, the and I'll tell you why in a second. But or you will live in totalitarian, have a tyranny the world has never seen before. You there there is no middle ground anymore for America. What it could happen, but I I honestly believe, and this maybe this is people tell me I'm a fool for saying this and still believing it. I still believe in your people. Um, it's it, I finish every show every week. I always say the last thing. The last thing I want people to hear from my voice is whether you agree with me or disagree with me. What we talk, talked about on the show was America is good because America, America is great because Americans are good. The great sentiment of the TOEFL. I actually believe the, in the American people. I still do. I was there last year. I did a speaking tour. I visited 16 states from the bluest of the blue in Chicago to the, the reddest of the red in Texas. Your people are still fundamentally good. We didn't talk politics. Um, we spoke about principles and just been around. But I believe if the American people see real good and real bad, they will choose real good. The frustrating thing for me is you've fallen for this choice in your cycle, in your culture of, well, it's the lesser of two evils. Or, well, we're not, we're not as bad as them. It's the whole idea of forgetting and understanding why your Declaration of Independence is so amazing. This idea of anyone can tell you what they don't like. You know, I, I see I see a baby just out of the womb can tell me it's cold, it's hungry, it's unhappy. It will scream and it will verbalize it. Anyone will tell you what they don't like. To tell you what you're for is amazing and it's so rare. We have lost that. And I think if America can get back to that point where you start saying, this is real good. Here, this is what we're for. The Declaration of Independence. Um, that idea of man is meant to be free and not controlled. This is not a left or a right issue. This is a human issue. That, you know, hey, if you want to go be different, you want to go, you know, and I'll use the issues of the day that are like controversial in your country right now. If you want to go take, as, as a man, if you want to take a scalpel and, you know, cut your dingleberries off, I think you're insane. I'm never wanting to even think about that happening to mine, but you know what? That's the great thing about freedom. You can do stupid things and you can do things I will never for the life of me understand, but it's freedom. That idea of man is meant to be free is, is a powerful message. And I think it, how do you get to that message to people without it being, hey, it's the GOP or it's the liberal or it's Hillary Clinton or it's Donald Trump or it's, it's some other conservative, it's the Tea Party. How do you actually get those principles to people? Or am I just like totally crazy? You're not totally crazy, but you answered your own question, I thought, when you said you didn't talk politics with people, you talked principles. Right now in our culture, there is no vehicle for the people that you talked to when you visited us last year. There is no vehicle or platform that exists in mass for them to act on those principles outside of the bitter tribalistic binary political process we currently have that's corrupting everything it touches. And so we are in the midst of what the, the Italian communist Antonio Gramsci, when he was writing from a prison cell in the 30s, what he urged his fellow leftists to do, the long march through the institutions. Our founders left us several institutions, a free press, um, a, 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 a church corporately that is a, that stands apart from the state and isn't taxed and is free uh, to preach the message that allows that, that gives people freedom from their own sin and then 
uh, gives them the power to use that God-given freedom to then not uh, uh, sin against others. All these institutions that our founders freed up uh, in the sense, in the case of the church or established in the case of a free media, the left has co-opted or conquered every one of these. And so what, what, where we're at now is I come to a Jonathan Dunn talk and I might be a moderate Democrat in Texas or I might be a liberal Republican in New Jersey and I might not agree on whether we ought to, you know, have health care for low income individuals in my state that rich people pay for. Maybe we don't agree on that. But when I come to a Jonathan Dunn talk and we talk about the generic principles of American exceptionalism, each of us is nodding our head. Here's the problem. When I walk out of that talk, there is nowhere for us to apply or act on those principles. Nowhere. Nowhere. And so it's a blog. It's a sentiment. But it's not actionable. And we are we are in a position where all the institutions the founders gave us to protect us from ourselves and to protect us from an invasion are now actually pointed at and targeting the very people they were created to protect. And that's a tough situation for a culture to be in. Absolutely. And and I, I know we're actually way over, over time, but I just, the one thing that I don't know how to explain to America is, and the more I'm doing this show, I, I've always tried to do this show. I always talk about principles, but I'm a Christian. And I've always tried to, I, I'm not, I don't hide it, but I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm going to convert you to Jesus and bash you with the Bible. But I think it's clear. But the more and more I see the world, the more and more I'm like, I don't know how I can do this without saying it. And the one thing for America is to explain in your culture is, if American can understand, each American, forget about how they act, understands why Bonhoeffer won. Because I explain this to people today, and they go, he died. He lost. He, he, he went to jail. He, he lost. And I'm like, no, he didn't. He won. There's a reason we talk about it. And until you get that as individuals, I, I, and I know there's a, there's a religious re- and a you know, faith-based reason for that, but until we can get to that and explain it, and also explain why Martin Luther King won, because I'm seeing people over there going, well, actually, you know what? Malcolm X was pretty good as well. I'm like these cultural shifts until we can you can actually i keep saying we i'm not an american i wish i was but until you can get back to those points and say these this is why they won and not just say they won but explain why that's you know that's going to be the turning point if you can ever happen do you agree with that or not i do yeah i do agree with that but i think i think that speaks to the need for revival i mean you're you're tapping into uh, you're, you're transcending cultural zeitgeist there, man. You're, you're tapping into, uh, spiritual truth. And that's something that a civil religion or, a, or, or, um, a conservative news network to challenge CNN and MSNBC like Fox just isn't capable of, of producing. And so that's why uh, it's revival or nothing. And there isn't a middle ground. Amen, brother. Listen, thank you so much for joining us. America, thank you so much for joining us. Check out his show at 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on The Blaze. Check him out on social media. As always, we finish up each show the way we do. 
Heroes do not wear numbers on a jersey. They are your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And if you agreed or disagreed with anything me and Steve said, remember this. America is great because Americans are good. That's you, America. That doesn't matter whether you have an or or a D or how you vote in two weeks. You are fundamentally great because you are good. And you see that time and time again. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.